always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you all are here today. I uh, said when I was preparing this sermon, I couldn't believe it's already been a few months since I preached the first time. And it's such a relief to have the first one done with, so now it's just no big deal, right? I mean, that's how this works. <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly it, but, but we'll, we'll see. Um, I was excited when Father Don had asked me to preach this week because this passage was one that I'd, we'd gone through quite a few times in my New Testament class last semester because it's kind of a classic example of a structure that Mark uses. And I'm sure when we read it, you right away picked up on this structure because it's so obvious to most people. And in this gospel reading from uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35, it's called an intercalation structure. And I'm sure you've all been wanting to know that. And basically what that means is there's one episode interrupted by another episode. And so if you look in this scripture reading, you have verses 20 and 21, which are talking about Jesus' family. They think Jesus has lost it. They want to go seize him. And then you go to the end of this reading, and it's 31 through 35. And once again, we go back to Jesus' family. And so then sandwiched in between those, those bookends um, is the conflict with the religious establishment. And so this is kind of a, a typical structure. Mark uses this numerous times and kind of combines related themes, and so you get a two-for-one type deal. Um, the setting of this, this has taken place, Jesus has gone home, so this has taken place uh, in Capernaum in Galilee. Um, he could be at the home of Peter and Andrew. Um, this could be Peter's mother, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed in this house, and maybe even where the four men had lowered their paralyzed friend through the roof. Um, the crowds have gathered. Jesus is very popular in Capernaum, um, and I think we see that with the crowds and the fact that they haven't even had time to eat at this point. And then we have the family piece in this. So the family is thinking Jesus has lost it. Um, they're most likely in Nazareth, and they've heard, you know, the intensity of Jesus' ministry, and they're going to intervene because they think that would be the most help, I think, at this point. And then, of course, we have the scribes, the religious establishment here that's been opposed to Jesus for quite a while. I mean, from the very beginning, they're trying to figure out how to destroy him. In fact, I think in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, is when they first, the Pharisees, went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy Jesus. So from the very beginning, they wanted this guy out because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing as a rabbi. And so then now they're saying he's working through the power of Satan. And so as I went through this scripture, initially my thought was on Tuesday as I started researching and studying and thinking about it, well, maybe I'll talk about forgiveness. We have, have that piece in here. And so on Friday I sat down to actually write the sermon as I'd been going through my head and kind of putting it all together, chewing on it a little bit, as it were. And God said, no, you're not talking to me really about forgiveness all that much. You're going to do something else. And I said, yeah, but I, I know what I'm going to do. And he said, no, I know what you're going to do, so stop it. <laughs> so, so that's what I did. But I did think it was worth mentioning on the forgiveness piece, um, these verses from Mark, verses 28 and 29 of this gospel reading, where he says, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men. 
and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. And as I read these verses, I thought back to Kelsey Smith, who taught Christian ed over at Grace for the past couple of years to the older kids. And I think back, like in January or February, Kelsey had called me and she said she had a student that was convinced they had committed this eternal sin. Convinced they had committed this. And so she had talked to them about it and tried to work them through it. And they were still struggling. So they came and saw Father Don and Father Don worked it out with them, and, and all was well. They're convinced now they're, they're okay. But I thought, this is something. I always go, well, if the kids are struggling with a verse like this or verses like this, then probably the adults are as well, has pretty much been my experience. Um, so I thought, well, it's worth noting since it's in this passage, and I really found no better way to say it than how John Piper said this. And this is what he had to say about these verses. He said, I think blasphemy against the Holy Spirit puts you beyond repentance and therefore beyond forgiveness. Verse 29 is not an exception to verse 28. Jesus is not saying all blasphemies you repent of will be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He is saying all blasphemies will be forgiven when you repent of them, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven because it puts you beyond repentance. You won't be able to repent of it. He said he thinks this is because of the unique and decisive role of the Holy Spirit that it plays in our salvation. If we look to the Father and the Son and then turn from his glory to embrace sin, that's bad. If we then look to the Son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent into the world and then turn away from his glory to embrace sin, well, that's doubly bad. But in either case, there's hope. The Father has planned redemption, and the Son has accomplished redemption. It is the Spirit's work to open our eyes to grant repentance and to make us beneficiaries of all that the Father has planned and all that Christ has done. If we blaspheme and reject the Father and the Son, there's still hope, for the Spirit may yet work within us to humble us and bring us to repentance. But if we, behind the Father and the Son, see and taste the power of the Holy Spirit and reject his work as no more precious than that of the work of Satan, we shut ourselves off from the only one who could ever bring us to repentance and so shut ourselves off from forgiveness. And I thought, that is so true. Not having the Holy Spirit at work in us really makes us struggle to realize that we are sinful and need a Savior. So if you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, if you have rejected the Holy Spirit, then I think John Piper's right. It puts you beyond repentance and therefore beyond forgiveness. But that's not really what this sermon's about today although it does go back to it. But really, the big idea for this sermon is don't let the devil of division divide and win. Don't let the devil of division divide and win. So if we look at this passage from Mark, you know, what does he really leave us with? He leaves us with three groups. So we have the well-intended opposition from the family. They had good intentions. They thought they were doing the right thing by going and pulling Jesus out. 
Then we have the mean-spirited opposition from the scribes. They wanted him gone. And then we have what Jesus tells us is his true family, those who obey the will of the Father. So we have those three parts in this passage. You know, both the family and the scribes act in opposition against what Jesus is doing. Jesus says if a kingdom or a house or an evil spirit is divided against itself, it's not going to be able to stand. It's going to come to an end. You know, if we go back to the Genesis reading, Genesis 3, the fall, um, it really sets the tone for the entire Bible. All the conflicts in the world started at this point. We have the two kingdoms now in conflict, in conflict for control of the world and in conflict and control for control of the people. Division leads to destruction. Division really leads to destruction. And really, if you have your Bibles and you were to flip over to Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. And shortly thereafter, Paul says again in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You know, Jesus came to rescue us from Satan. He came to rescue us from Satan's power that causes divisions. You know, if you look at the family peace in this gospel, Jesus is not saying we're called to ignore our family members. You go back to the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. But what he is saying is that our family is expanding. Our family is expanding. Our family is not only blood relations that we naturally love and would do anything for a parent giving their life for their child, but we really can't stop there. We really can't stop there because Jesus is saying those who do the will of the Father are your family. You know, it's easy to forgive someone that wrongs us if we love them. It's not as easy to forgive them if there's someone that really irritates us a lot of the time. Abraham Lincoln was once heard to have said this. He said, I don't like that man, but I must get to know him better. You see, sometimes what separates us from others is that we really do not know them well enough. Or we haven't spent enough time with them. And we've made judgments based on how we feel about them, based on something we've heard them say, or something somebody told us about them, or something we saw that they did maybe that we didn't like. And we cast this judgment without even knowing the person and where they're coming from. But we really need to spend time with them to learn about their good and their bad, their joys and their struggles, and their history, their testimony. You know, I was... As I was writing this sermon, I really thought about our staff here at Christ the King with Karen and Father Don and Tom and Sarah and Robin and, and Bev and so many others, Carol and John and all these people that are in the office. And we're there together day in and day out. And I'd say in the 11 years I've been working here and serving here, this is probably one of the best staffs we have because we really are a family. We really are a family. We see each other as a family. That doesn't mean we always agree. 
because we don't. Sarah was at the early service this morning and was sitting in the back, so I picked on her and said, you know, Sarah and I share an office, and of course she's not here most of the time during the week because she teaches during the day, so we don't see each other a lot except on Wednesdays and Sundays. But I said, Sarah and I come from very different places in our ideas of how to do things. And so we have a lot of fellowship in that office over what we think is best for the kids and the children. And, um, and if you went through my text messages, most of our texts are very fellowship-oriented. And uh, we're both very strong, and we have strong opinions on things. But we both have the same common goal, because Christ is at the center of what we do. And so, so while we don't always agree on how to get there exactly, and sometimes I'll say, oh, all right, we'll try it your way. And sometimes she says, yeah, we'll try it your way. And sometimes we both dig our heels in and say, no, this is the way we're going to do it. And we respect each other for that because we're part of the family. And we know we're working towards the common goal, even though we don't see eye to eye. And Sarah said she really appreciated that um, I didn't ask her for permission to share this. So we'll probably have some fellowship after church today. <laughs> but, oh, well. What's new? <laughs> but as I was thinking about that, I also thought about this congregation. I thought, when people come and visit this congregation, this part of the body of Christ, we always hear the same things. Oh, I was so welcomed when I came there. I, was, I felt so loved. I felt the power of the Holy Spirit when I came in that place. And that has a lot to do with the people that are here. It has a lot to do with the people because you guys are spirit-filled Christians, and you know how to welcome people in from the outside. But that doesn't mean there's not division, isolation, and separation at times, because there is. This is a family. All families have that at times. But what I hope for is that we can move past that. You know, you don't leave here today and think about, oh yeah, when Matthew was talking, yeah, I thought of that person that I'm not in, in relationship with right now. And you think about it, but you don't do anything. This is really an action sermon. You need to go do something about it. I said, if there's one thing I've learned over the past couple of years from Father Tom and Deacon Karen and Father Don is when a problem arises, deal with it. Call them up. Take them out for coffee. It's not always the easy thing to do. No one likes conflict. No one likes to confront somebody when something's not right. But we have to do it if we're part of the body of Christ. You see... I like this from A.W. Tozer. He said, put Christ in the center of our vision, and if Satan is lurking around, he will appear on the margins only and be seen as but a shadow on the edge of the brightness. It is always wrong to reverse this, to set Satan in the focus of our vision and push God out to the margins. You see, when we let Satan divide us, when we let Satan cause division in the body of Christ, we're bringing him into our view and pushing Christ out to the side. You know, I think if you look at our country today, we have so much division, whether it was the COVID stuff last year or the election, and so many other things have happened that the country is divided. So if Satan can come in and divide the body of Christ, we're, we're, try, we're letting him win. And we cannot have that. I mean, this is spiritual warfare right here. And so we need to deal with it. And it can start easily with those of you here today. You can leave this place and think, oh, that was nice. Or you can leave this place and go deal with those that you're in conflict with within the body of Christ.
because we have to start dealing with that at this level. This is just the local body of Christ. And if we can start dealing with it here, that can create a ripple, I believe, to go out and start dealing with these things so that we can be more effective for the kingdom. So we need to think about that. Yesterday, while I was at Jim Peebles' funeral, one of the songs we sang was How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And it had this, one of the verses says, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And I kept thinking about that verse that if it was my sin that held him on the cross, if it was my sin that held him on the cross and I believe that, and his death brought me life, then why would I even hesitate about dealing with divisions in my life? If I really believe that, why would I hesitate about it? Why would I be nasty to people that I see in the body of Christ and not speak to them because of something that I think they did or said? Why would I give them dirty looks? Why would I avoid them? Why would I do all of those things if I really believe what that song said, that my sin held him there and I've been bought life by, the, by him doing that? Why would I even give it a second thought? And yet a lot of times we fall into the Jesus' blood relations that are going and saying, we're going to go deal with Jesus because we know how to do it better than Jesus does. I do that a lot of the time. I think, well, that's nice. I think that's what he wants me to do, but let's talk about this. Well, let me tell you, my life would be a lot smoother if I just did what Jesus told me to do the first time instead of having to have a conversation about it every time because right now Matthew is 0-1. Jesus is 100% of the time. So, so we really need to think about that. But I think that's where we are, is if you really believe that, then you want to deal with the divisions in your life. You want to deal with those divisions. Because I don't want to be like Jesus' blood family that's trying to pull him out of what he's supposed to be doing and fighting with him over this. I surely don't want to be like the scribes in this passage just going, up, oh, possessed, this guy's bad, get him out. No, I want to be what Jesus says, the one that does the will of God the Father. He is my brother and my sister and my mother. I want to be in that category, doing the will of the Father and being in relationship with the people in the body of Christ. One of the quotes I found is one of my favorite from C.S. Lewis, where he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't want to accept him, his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he's a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. And in thinking about that, it really related back to the first of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We can trust who Jesus says he is. We can trust who he says he is. We can trust that he has our best interest in mind. 
we see such a very little part of the bigger picture that he sees. And so we need to stand up. You know, I love that song, Onward Christian Soldiers, because I think that really just is where we're at. You know, we need to stand up as a soldier for Christ and combat the devil, put on the armor of God, do all of those things. And that'd be a whole nother sermon if we got into that. So I, I promise I, I won't. I'm trying to keep it shorter than the last sermon I did. So, But it, we need to stand up. We need to stand up for Jesus. And I think we're actually doing that song at the end, aren't we? Stand up for Jesus. Yeah. So that would be a good one. But we can trust who he says that he is. So I hope when you leave here today, you will think about who is it that you're in conflict with? Who are you out of relationship with? Who are you struggling with right now? And go do something about it. Pick up the phone. Invite them out. I think all of us have somebody that would come to mind in these situations that we need to deal with. And it's not easy, it's not fun, but it's what we're called to do if we're keeping Christ at, at the center of our vision. And so I wanted really to conclude with this from Max Licato, and I, I read this actually, this piece um, when I spoke at Breakout when we talked about spiritual warfare. And I thought it was a good conclusion to this message today. And Max Licato said this, he said, on the last night of his life, Jesus prayed a prayer that stands as a citadel for all Christians. I pray for these followers, but I'm also praying for those who will believe in me because of their teaching. Father, I pray that they will be one, as you are in me and I am you. I pray that they can be one in us. Then the world will believe that you sent me. How precious are these words of Jesus. Knowing that the end is near, he prays one final time for his followers. Striking, isn't it? That he didn't pray for their success, their safety, or their happiness. He prayed for their unity. He prayed that they would love each other. And as he prayed for them, he also prayed for those who will believe because of their teaching. That means us here today. In the last words that Jesus prayed, he prayed that you and I be one. Amen.